It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it don't need something from your own head. Beat it up and I've got no people. And I'm supposed to clatter with the fear, fight down, make fire in the fire. This is the gang from the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're getting down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of Doom. Dern tootin'. And bloom. <laughs> Dern blutin'. Dern bloom. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> hey, this is indeed the hour of doom, the doom and bloom survival medicine hour, that is, a time of temperance in a tumultuous world. Mm-hmm. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. That's right. And together we are the prodigious pair, the courageous couple, the masters of disaster. And we're here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident? With a rapacious reptile? Well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship is exists, nor is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, yes, but when the power's down and everyone in town got a frown. <laughs> got a frown. <laughs> someone's got to take up the slackjack and keep people healthy in times of trouble. And you know what? That someone might just be you. So show the world you got more sense than a dresser full of drumsticks and get some training, get some education. And while you're at it, how about some supplies and a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge? And what better place to get it than Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you deal with medical issues you'll face in any disaster. They'll help make your workplace, your school, your church safer. And they're designed by a real-life medical doctor and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff, and you'll agree... 
Our kits are the ones you should have in your medical storage. You know what? Don't take our word for it. Check out our testimonials page at store.doomandboom.net and see what folks just like you have to say about our medical kits and service. Those are real people that That, wrote real reviews. That's right. Not paid, not coerced, (laughs) not fake. You know, it's funny. I look on, uh, there's this webpage called Yelp. Oh, yes. Yelp. And it's funny, I was looking for someone to clean our gutters. We only have a little bit of gutters, but they're pretty junked up after, I don't know. I don't know if we've ever had them clean. 500 years? Had them clean. (laughs) But I I would like to have them clean because they're not working so well. But I looked on Yelp. It was really funny. And, you know, you see the ratings, and I think it goes up to a 5. And, you know, I see a 3.8 and a 4.8. And then I see this one with a 5. And there's 60 reviews of five. Wow. And so I thought, well, gee, let me read these. And every one of them mentions one of the two owners. Anthony and his crew, Anthony and his team, Brett and his team. Brett helped me very much. I have to tell you, every single one of the reviews mentioned the names of the owners. I've written maybe a handful of reviews here and there. Um, some good, some like not so good. Run, run, <laughs> just just run. Um, but if you see the person who owns the place mentioned repeatedly, those are all clearly dummy emails that these people have made to put reviews, and they're so egotistical that they have to mention their own name in the review. of reviews don't mention anyone's name. They're strictly referring to the company because that's just the way it is. You don't usually mention so-and-so. It's very rare. I haven't thought of that. Very rare within a review that you would mention a specific person. You would say, this company is excellent. Because you don't always know if that person's going to be around, if they're involved anymore. So you, you write about the company. It was so clear to me that probably 59 out of the 60, I think maybe the first one or two, sounded like normal human beings review it. Like, this company was very good. Like, that's a normal person. When you say, Anthony was wonderful and his crew couldn't have been better, so professional, cleaned everything up. And in other words, he's just bragging about himself in 59 of the 60 reviews. Interesting. It was so clear. So you guys beware of what Yelp and if it seems too good to be true, well, judge for yourself. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, anyhow, check out our testimony. But not page. ours, because I n- <laughs> have never, ever, ever, I don't have Yelp. I don't, I don't think they do medical kits on Yelp. <laughs> I have no Yelp. I actually have a, a kit on, one kit on Amazon, and it's been there for, it'll be a year in December, and I have no reviews. So clearly, I don't pay for reviews. <laughs> <laughs> so I see. Well, anyhow, don't forget, don't forget our kits are approved for your health or flexible savings accounts. Just let us know that you need the paperwork and we'll give you whatever it is that you need to comply with your... Absolutely. Receipts will be turned in and you will have absolutely zero issues. I guarantee it guarantee. because I've done it so many times. It has worked 100% of the time. Hey, we learn as much from you as you do from us. Painfully obvious. So, cast a pearl of wisdom before us.
little piggies. Absolutely. Okay. And <laughs> connect with the geezer and the goddess. It's easy. And here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Sure. You can write to us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, DR Bones, and Nurse Amy. You can also check out our Facebook page that's Doom and Bloom. If you follow that, then you'll get pretty much a resource, a link to everything that we do. You can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, DR Bones, Nurse Amy. That's right. And our other podcast, all about current events, American Survival Radio, now broadcast from KPJC, relevant to News Talk Radio out of Salem, Oregon, the voice of Lubbock, Texas, KRFE, KFAR, Fairbanks, Alaska, and a number of other great radio stations in the U.S. of A. Yes. That's right. Not international yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, Hey, you know what? We Mm -hmm. are still in National Preparedness Month. I hope that you have done something out there to get yourself more prepared for the slings and arrows of misfortune that can occur. So that's something important. And and we actually want to mention that we are finishing up a book on antibiotics and the diseases they treat. Oh, I hope, boy. I hope Night you, and day. Yes, that's Night right. and day. He actually had to take the papers away from me. I'm doing a, a final read. And just on 8 by 10 pages, there's over 200. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot to get there. We may have to trim a little. We don't know. But the bottom line is that... I hope that you've made some provisions for having antibiotics in your medical storage, even if they're the fish antibiotics that we write about. You know, if you really believe there might be some event that's going to take our society to Mm -hmm. the brink one day, you've got to know that this stuff is just not going to be as available as it was. And whatever you have is going to be hard to replace. So while you're getting prepared this National Preparedness Month, think about getting our book when it comes out and some antibiotics. Yes, we've got to take a lot of pictures. Yes, we're, this, we're in the middle of final draft. Um, what else is left? Index. Oh, got to do the index. The index. Oh, I hate that. And I have to take a ton of pictures. That's right. So, so most of the pictures you guys are going to see in there are actually by Nurse Amy. That's right. You are an awesome photographer. My little and studio, right smack dab in the middle of my living room. There you go. That's <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> my own little living room studio. <laughs> Well, the bottom line is you have to decide whether you're really concerned about something like that happening. And if you don't think that you'll ever be more than a day without power or uh, more than five minutes away from the ambulance, well, you probably don't need this stuff. But the truth of the matter is, is that there may be a circumstance one day that you might just. Oh, by the way, what's the name of the book? Well, we're still struggling with it. Our working title is Bugs and Drugs, which was suggested by our friend Dr. Mader. But we better get a title finalized soon if we're going to send this to the printer. Well, I'm li- I'm personally liking the let's see, what do we decide? The Alton's Guide to Antibiotics and Infectious Diseases, or Infections and Diseases. Maybe Infections and Diseases. You probably I don't know. We'll have see, to this see. This is clearly us discussing this. This is true, folks. We have not made up our mind. If you have a suggestion, write to us at, at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Yes. So in the book is about antibiotics, about fish antibiotics, and about the diseases that can be treated with antibiotics. Oh, right. Exactly. You know, Especially they, those 
So they're very, it's a very useful item for people who are concerned about a long-term disaster. Wound outbreak. infections. That's right. And uh, cholera. Many different dis- infections oh God, that so can many. be treated with antibiotics. Right. All right. Well, Bacterial let's, pneumonia. <laughs> that's right. Yes, things like that. Yep. So we want to talk a little bit about stuff in our book today. And one of the things we talk about is the topic of immunity. Anybody that wants to be effective in treating infectious disease and times of trouble better understand how our body works to stop infection. In other words, how immunity works. So here's some basics. Our body's a fortress and is constantly under siege by bacteria, viruses, other pathogens. Pathogens, by the way, are, is just another name for disease-causing organisms. And every day we fight off attempts by one or another of these germs to gain a foothold in our body. Now, luckily, our immune system is usually aware of the presence of things that are foreign to us, not recognizable as part of the body. And the human response to infection involves the actions of certain cells and other substances called antibodies in the blood. An antibody is a protein shaped like a Y, as a matter of fact, like the letter Y, and it's produced by plasma cells, which are in turn produced by cells called B lymphocytes, in their white blood cells in our bloodstream. Antibodies are used by the immune system to pinpoint and eliminate pathogens that are floating around in our circulation, and they are produced in response to the presence of the foreign object or a toxin or other foreign uh, product produced by this foreign object. Absolutely. Just think of it as a siege on a castle. You've got a castle that's the foreign object. It's it's not supposed to be there. It got put up overnight and your army needs to come in there and take it out. So your army are those T-cells. And they attack that castle and say, you have to leave now because you're not supposed to be here on our land. Get out. Get out. So anyhow, so your antibodies produced by the B cells, which uh, produce the plasma cells, these all take care of these toxins and other foreign products known as antigens. They're called antigens, these foreign things that they deal with. The castle. That's exactly right. (laughs) Now, resistance to an infection by the action of antibodies or white blood cells is known as immunity. Our type of, or one type of immune system is called humoral immunity, and that mostly involves the antibodies that are in your plasma, the body fluids. Uh, Body fluids are also called humors, or they used to be in the old days, and that's why they call it humoral. That's why they call them humoral immunity. And it works well to eliminate antigens that are found in blood. Now, once a pathogen has invaded a cell, however, antibodies can't really see it. And humoral immunity becomes ineffective. And then you have another type of immunity that kicks into gear, and that's called cell-mediated immunity. And that uses cells known as T-lymphocytes to identify and destroy cells that are infected. So... Something destroys the toxins or the other foreign objects in right. the blood, and then there's another type of immunity that destroys okay. uh, uh, the actual cells that have been infected. So let's think about this. So somebody put up a castle overnight. It's not supposed to be there. And the antibodies come, and they're trying to attack the castle and get rid of it. But then the castle sinks into the ground. So now it's part of the ground. So the ground is your cell. It it invades the cell. Now, those armies up on the grass and on the ground can't see it. That's right. It's gone. Yes. So they're not going to be helpful. So now you need something else 
to heat seek <laughs> right exactly <laughs> that or, castle that or, has gone or, into the cell that right, pathogen or to, right or to put it another way those those uh things that are see- besieging the castle yes the antibodies can come and sort of get rid of them but once they have invaded the castle and they're inside the castle let's say if if the entire group goes inside the castle mm-hmm. and shuts the door and you're standing outside, you're an antibody standing outside, you just see a castle. You see, you don't see what's inside. That's true. That's and so true. That you teeth, can do it that way. Right. Well, I was actually putting the castle as the pathogen, not not as a cell. So the, the, ground, ah, okay. the ground is the cell, so that pathogen is up there. Somebody put it up overnight. Yes. And the, the army are the antibodies ah. which are attacking that pathogen. The pathogen is actually the castle. Okay. But then the castle sinks into the ground. All right. I like your analogy better. The ground is now, it's sunk into the ground. And now, guess what? Those guys running up around the top, outside the cell. They're looking around. They don't see anything. Can't see anything. There you go. Where right. is it? So now you need something else to find that pathogen that has gone into the cell or and that, and those underground. Are your, and those are your T-cells. There you go. That's now right. your T-cells got to get involved. Well, immunity can, can refer to all sorts of different things, but it, re- it can refer to the resistance of an entire species like humans. <laughs> For example, don't get fish diseases like fin rot. Yep. Uh, it, so the resistance of an entire species to a particular bacteria or the res- could refer to the resistance of a particular individual to an illness and we'll take a lady named mary mallon Mm -hmm. who's also known as typhoid mary as as an example now typhoid mary carried the germ or uh, for typhoid fever which Mm -hmm. is a very serious uh, infectious disease we write about it in the book and she carried it without getting sick herself and she's called a carrier in that, or a vector is another word for something that transmits a disease, not doesn't necessarily get sick itself. And well, I will give you a, a recent example of this. You have commercials now for meningeal, um, what's that? Meningeal? Meningococcus. Yes, and you see the the poor grandmother with in a wolf clothing costume, um, and the the parents of this baby bring the baby to the grandmother. And she's looking down at the baby, and she's the wolf. Breathing on it. Breathing on it. because Breathing she, all these bacteria. Because she carries it, but she has no symptoms. Right. So that, that would so be another example. So this is clearly Excellent an example, example of what's happening today is people carry that, and some people have no symptoms whatsoever, but they can still transmit it to folks who have very poor immunity, which, of course, are babies and, and small children. So even today we have to worry about someone like typhoid, typhoid Mary, which could be, uh, I'm, unfortunately, I hopefully will be a grandmother someday. You know, it's very scary to think that you would transmit something to an infant, but it, it's very possible. And indeed. Without even knowing it. That's right. the sad thing. Absolutely. Now, there are several categories of immunity that could refer to or at least relate, I think, somewhat to infectious disease outbreaks. And one is what we call short-term immunity, and that's the response we have that we just talked about. When an infectious agent is detected by the body, the body responds by producing all these uh, B cells and antibodies and T cells and plasma cells, all these yeah, there's the things lot, that are lots the, of parts of right, the army. <laughs> right, it's a cascade of events that occurs. It's a, it's the immune response which attacks the invader, right. and this also occurs as a result of receiving, by the way, antibodies by injection. 
uh, which is antitoxins and things like that. Uh, or you can get antibodies as well through breastfeeding. Mama gives a newborn her antibodies, yep. which helps the baby stay avoid. healthier. Right, exactly right. Then there's long-term immunity, and that's uh, the body's defenses having a certain type of memory of an offending organism. And if that offending organism returns to the body, that memory causes the body to produce a faster and even stronger response against it. And that's especially true with a lot of viral infections like uh, varicella. That's uh, a viral illness commonly known as chickenpox. Right. That once you've had chickenpox, you're usually immune for the remainder of your life. You know what the body says? What? Fool me once. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> shame on me. Fool me twice. Shame on my body. Right, exactly. <laughs> that's you, body shaming. Because you're, oh you're not going to get a second chance for there the most go. part. The right. body is really good at remembering how to take care of and how to attack and how to eliminate uh, a lot of things. Thank goodness. Our now, bodies are amazing, it, aren't they? They are indeed a miracle of modern engineering. <laughs> yes. <Or> a, <laughs> I don't know. You might be able to say that. You might be able to say that in a couple hundred years. Yes, a miracle of ancient engineering there right now, go. but one day a miracle of modern engineering. There you go. Now you may have a natural immunity because of the of your race or your ethnicity or things like that. A particular individual or occasionally an entire species might possess the ability to resist a pathogen due to genetic factors that are passed on from generation to generation. And one terrible example of that is what happened to the Native American population of the New World when European explorers first arrived. Mm -hmm. Now, they had an extraordinarily high mortality rate when they were exposed to smallpox, which was a very common disease uh, in Europe. It killed a lot of people in Europe, but... The, these explorers, a lot of them had a much higher survival rate than when, when they got smallpox than Native Americans because they had a natural immunity bestowed upon them generation after generation by centuries of previous exposures. Right. Now, one thing that the Native Americans got back, at least they think, uh, at the European explorers for <laughs> like is revenge. by giving uh, is by giving them. Well, tobacco is one thing, but the second That's thing, true. the second thing would be syphilis. Syphilis arrived in Europe around the year fourteen ninety four. That's a horrible disease too. Around fourteen ninety four, and and left untreated, certainly can be a horrible disease with lots of end stage uh, issues that cause major major problems. And so that's something that I think is pretty. Um, pretty amazing that the Europeans just didn't have any resistance to syphilis. Nope. The Native Americans didn't have any resistance to smallpox. They wound up killing a lot oh. of each other uh, totally inadvertently. Right. Nobody meant to do that. By That's the right. way, if anyone thinks that these Europeans meant to make people sick, they didn't. I will say this, though. They just though, wanted some freedom. I will say this, that some British would give smallpox-infected blankets to Indians, to Native Americans, uh, in uh, areas where they wanted to settle. What? Yes, and that actually is... How did they know? They didn't know how diseases were transmitted. Well, it's hard to say. Think about it. Well, it's they hard to say, but they have the been... They transmitted They have been accused of that. Let's say they allegedly did that. They have been accused of I don't of doing believe it. it. And it might have worked. They didn't understand germ theory. They didn't have microscopes. They didn't know that how this was transmitted. I mean, 
I don't believe it. Ah. I'm going to be the naysayer. All right. I think these folks were innocently giving diseases that they didn't know how they got. They blame things on weird things like punishment or or guilt or having done something wrong in the past. I mean, they had all kinds of reasons why they got sick, not living a pure life. Uh, but Like we do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> What? <laughs> Who are you talking about? Anyway, um, so I don't think that that was in their brains whatsoever, honestly. Well. So take it back. Okay, well. Take I will, it back. I'll consider your argument. I'll consider your argument. Yes, you well, should. Anyhow, let's talk a little bit about herd immunity. Herd, when a large group, a herd, possesses immunity, Non-immune individuals within that herd enjoy a certain protection because they're exposed less often to an infection that might otherwise be fatal to them. And the most common example today relates to vaccinated populations. If an unvaccinated person moves into an area where many people are immune because they are vaccinated, the likelihood of exposure to a disease drops significantly and the likelihood that they'll get that disease drops as well. And so you get a certain level of protection by being part of a herd that is otherwise immune. If there were many unvaccinated people that moved into that area, then the overall herd immunity might be lost. Now, vaccinations against influenza, for example, are usually made available to people in developed countries ahead of seasonal outbreaks in an effort to avoid infection. These are most effective if the flu virus is similar to last year's strain as they use material from that virus to produce this year's vaccine. If the virus has mutated significantly, the vaccine may be ineffective. As a matter of fact, in one recent year, influenza vaccination conferred about a 19% protection rate wow. on the, uh, against uh, the flu virus. So well, It's not very good. It's not very good. <laughs> and they shoot, actually, believe it or not, you would think that the vaccine that they usually give has 100% protection. In reality, they just shoot for about 60%. Wow. So that's the thing with vaccines that a lot of people don't know. Um, now, in modern times, we become highly dependent on technology as in many cases eliminated the scourge of infectious disease. Now, we have a lot of different infections that uh, can be treated with antibiotics. Now, in their third or fourth generation versions, and physicians aren't reluctant to use them when necessary, but we have to talk a little bit about what to do for these outbreaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few people consider the possibility that a major disaster may wipe out the ability to manufacture antibiotics in mass quantities. We talked about that a little bit. Uh, and there are indeed severe restrictions exist, which put these drugs out of the reach of the average person. But what would happen if we're struck by some catastrophe that knocks us off the grid? We're going to be left only with the most basic options to deal with so many medical issues. So you got to plan for disasters ahead of time. and That'll greatly increase your chances to avoid harm and stay safe. That's true for wildfires and floods, but it's also true for infectious disease outbreaks. If you have antibiotics in your medical kit, it might be helpful for bacterial infections, not flu or other viral outbreaks. Remember, antibiotics do not kill viruses. Uh, And the thing is, is that there are other non-pharmaceutical interventions. They actually have a uh, acronym, NPIs, non-pharmaceutical interventions. And you might consider some of these things 
in addition to your having your antibiotics. Number one, of course, uh, these are all, I think, common sense to me. Stay home when you're sick or have been exposed to family members who are ill. Right. In other words, if you are in in the prodrome, in other words, the not the early phase of some kind of epidemic disease, mm-hmm. or if you've been exposed to someone and could possibly be, well, maybe you should stay home. Yes. <laughs> and maybe not <laughs> expose hundreds of other people right. to your disease. And that would be a great thing for the community if you could do that. Now, let's say you're in the midst of people you want to that may have these diseases well the truth is increasing the distance between them in settings where you would otherwise commonly come in close contact with these people would help protect you and this is a actual cdc strategy okay not i just didn't make it up this is a cdc strategy from the centers of disease control and prevention that is known as social distancing that's right so you've got to distance yourself socially in epidemic right but well, because you're sick. Right. But if you don't like somebody, you can distance yourself from them socially, too, if you want. Right. Well, you know, that's a personal choice. There you go. <laughs> um, of course, we go to all the basic things for respiratory issues. You want to cover all your coughs and your sneezes with tissue or at least your upper arm. Do not cough into your hand. If you cough into your hand, then you'll touch yourself. You'll touch other people. you touch surfaces. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are things that can cause other people to get the illness. Uh, You should wash your hands, speaking of your hands, wash your hands, use hand sanitizer, do that frequently throughout the day. Nobody nobody washes their hands enough, in my opinion, or or frequently enough during the day. No, you're right. You know, I do it several times a day, and even I think sometimes I'm not doing it enough. Um, So this is something that's important. You want to... By the way, if you're sick in the company of others, you might consider covering your nose and mouth with some kind of mask. I know that this is something that you would never think of doing because it makes you look silly, you think. But, hey, a billion Asians or two billion Asians can't be wrong, right? They walk around with masks on them all the time when they think there's either an epidemic in the area or if they think that there's some kind of risk from other people that they may wind up getting sick uh, just from the company of others. So that's something. Now, if you have sick people in the house, you should always clean all your surfaces with a disinfectant of some sort. Uh, uh, One part bleach and nine nine parts water would be perfectly fine. You know, just wipe down doorknobs. You know, you can get Lysol wipes, of course. Those would also be probably pretty good. Uh, And wipe down... Uh, counter surfaces, especially in common areas like the kitchen, these these are great strategies to help prevent an infectious disease outbreak from occurring not in in your family and in your community. Uh, so these are things that you could do. They are totally non-pharmaceutical, so they're NPIs, non-pharmaceutical interventions. So you should consider them, even if you're well supplied with antibiotics and other medications, because simply put, some of those antibiotics or those antibiotics are definitely not going to get killed viruses. Viruses are the cause of a lot of epidemics. Yes. And a situation where you have to use your antibiotics, especially in a survival setting, you're not going to replace them. So save those precious antibiotics by doing non-pharmaceutical interventions whenever you possibly can. Yep, I totally agree. 
Let's see. What are some things we haven't talked about? You know what we haven't talked about in a long time is sexually transmitted diseases. Okay. So if you have children listening, you probably don't want them to hear this. Well, I'm not going to say any... Unless they're 15 and... Unacceptable words. they just don't need to hear it at all. I don't know. I'm just about not letting children listen to things and have to ask questions. It's a hard reality, <laughs> but they n- should listen to We're this. not saying anything that that is uh, X-rated or anything like that or no. R-rated. It's all, it's all G-rated, but it is a discussion of something that happens to genitalia, <laughs> male and female. Okay, well. Just to clear it up. <laughs> and that's as dirty as it's going to get. That's it. I know. It's, well, we're, you're a doctor and I'm a nurse and practitioner. We actually say yep. things very medically. Yes. Well, let's talk about mm-hmm. well, what we talked about What we talked about just a second ago about syphilis, interestingly enough. Syphilis is indeed caused by a bacterium. It's called a spirochete, which is a spi- it's sort of a spiral-shaped mm-hmm. bacterium. Oh, by the way, bacterium is the singular form of bacteria. Everybody thinks that you can say there is a ba- there is a bacteria on the microscope slide. No, you would say there is bacteria. If you're talking about multiple, if there is only one, you would call it a bacterium, bacterium. So, so that bacteria, the bacterium that causes syphilis is called Treponema pallidum, and it's a spiral-shaped bacteria, otherwise known as a spirochete. And it's the most severe bacterial infection that can be transmitted sexually, at least that is a bacterial disease. Of course, HIV is a viral disease, and that's something that's pretty terrible Mm -hmm. also. Uh, And syphilis was a worldwide epidemic in centuries past, like HIV is. And and we mentioned that it was thought to be an unintentional byproduct of the discovery of the New World by Christopher Columbus, because they didn't find cases in Europe until after he returned. So they were, uh, syphilis was first identified in French troops. Matter of fact, it became to be known the French pox or the French disease uh, on, when they were on campaign, I think, in Italy. And that was in 1494 and 1495. And notice that we discovered or Columbus discovered the New World in 1492. So it took him a while to get back, and sure enough, uh, a short time later, French troops were found with this strange disease. Now, syphilis develops in stages. The primary stage begins about 10 to 90 days after exposure, and it looks like a painless skin ulcer or ulcers on or near body sites are commonly involved with sexual activity. And this, is, um, this ulcer is known as a chancre. It's painless. Uh, it can be small, it can be large, uh, and it eventually goes away by itself in about, oh, I don't know, about four to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a primary stage of syphilis. Then it goes away for a while. I and think that's the scariest thing when you think about this disease is a lot of people who may have not sought treatment now have this terrible ulcer disappear and guess what they think? They think they're fine. They think they're cured. Right. Whatever it was that they weren't sure, they didn't go seek any kind of diagnosis or treatment from a medical profession professional, now have this thing disappear. And in every case, oh, I'm fine now. Right. Once the primary Absolutely stage has sort of fine. disappeared, 
well, you look like you think you're fine, but indeed a secondary stage then may occur. It could be much later. It could be uh, not so much later. And that appears as sort of a reddish or brownish rash, and it's especially on the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet. There are a lot, a lot of other symptoms, though, that you get once you have passed into the secondary stage. It could be uh, fever, uh -huh. could be sore throat, could be hair loss, swollen lymph nodes, fatigue, all sorts of stuff. And the funny thing is that this stage also resolves on its own, but it can lead later to a end stage or a tertiary stage of syphilis. And although at that point you're no longer contagious, well, you start beginning to have damage in organs and even even in your eyesight, you know, you can be rendered blind or you can be rendered demented. In other words, you lose mental status as a result of this infection progressing wasn't further and further. A, there, wasn't there a king that they thought had this? I would think a lot of kings had it. <laughs> <laughs> they got rather crazy and did some... Yes, there were a lot the of... madness yes. of... King George. King George. Right. Now, he actually had a different kind of disease called acute intermittent porphyria. And that was a really crazy disease that's, that is just made him, not only made him nuts, but he actually peed blue or purple. Yes, I remember yeah, He had that. a lot we of strange things. We watched a show about him. A movie, yeah. A movie. Called The Madness of King George. Yes, and they yep. were watching his urine. Right. And, he and was, everything else right. that came out of it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so it is an it's by the way a very interesting movie, Madness of King George. However, it had nothing to do, as far as we know, That's right, with syphilis. syphilis. But I I guarantee you those kings once it was past the time that it actually got over here. What did you say that was fourteen ninety two fourteen ninety two America was discovered fourteen ninety four ninety five they first it started seeing back, cases moved back to the old world. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> well, anyhow, when a so you have a lot of different issues that occur with tertiary syphilis. And when a pregnant woman is infected with syphilis, well, it can really mean major consequences for her baby. Uh, congenital syphilis, something's congenital, it means that you're born with it. It's a cause of things like, of course, miscarriage and stillbirth. But it can also cause premature delivery. It can cause a baby with very low birth weight. Uh, and it can cause death of the baby even shortly before birth. Or after birth, the uh, Centers for Disease Control and uh, uh, Prevention, they report that up to 40% of babies born to women with untreated syphilis may be born dead or die from the infection as a newborn. That's horrible. It's pretty terrible. No, it's like, awful. A baby can be Ugh. born with an enlarged liver, an enlarged spleen, a very bad anemia, in other words, really low blood count, mm -hmm. deformed bones, deformed teeth, uh, all sorts of so, terrible so stuff. So can, all sorts of defects that can occur. So early diagnosis and treatment, they're very important to avoid long-term complications from syphilis. Well, penicillin, by the way, does remain a popular antibiotic to cure the disease of syphilis, especially if it is treated early. Mm -hmm. The earlier you treat a case of syphilis, the more likely that you're going to have a good outcome. There are also other infections. Uh, one is gonorrhea. Everybody, I think, has heard of that. It's another sexually transmitted disease. It's caused by a, a bacterium known as Neisseria gonorrhea. And the World Health Organization actually report, reports that there ha are an average of 88 million cases of gonorrhea a year 
worldwide. It's going crazy. There yeah. is an epidemic. You want to talk about epidemics? That is an epidemic. We have STD levels that they haven't seen in years. It is crazy. And you know what I blame? What? I'm blaming Ooh. those iPhone, not iPhone, phone apps. Those dating apps where people are just, oh, yeah. quote, hooking up. Mm-hmm. And they don't know anything about these people at all. And they are spreading this stuff I from think, person to person to person. It is bad. And it's not just young people. I think it's your people. everyone. Right. I think everybody who everyone uses those things are, is really foolhardy. You are taking a huge risk with your health. And there are things, folks, that just will never go away. I'm going to mention HIV and herpes and HPV. There you go. Yep. And and those three H's, uh-huh. those three H's right. are horrible. Right. Each and every one of them. HPV can cause oral cancer, throat cancer, mouth cancer, cervical cancer. Herpes is just a horrible, painful, oh, God, I remember seeing people with that. Yeah. And HIV, I don't think I need to tell you folks how awful that so, is. So the three, just to make it clear, the three, three H's, H's are bad, but four H is awesome. It's a great club to learn animal husbandry. Does that still exist? Yes, it does. 4-H? I believe. I believe I it does. I was part of that. Yeah, were you? I was part of the four H club. Yeah, when I was well, young, there you I lived go. in yeah. uh, Georgia when I was a kid. <laughs> yep. Well, that's so, so funny you so mentioned we have, that. So we have nothing against four H, but we only have against three H. Unfortunately. They, our book is mostly about bacterial disease. We don't talk a lot about HIV no. in it, but we talk about diseases that can be treated we, with we, antibiotics. Right. We try to avoid things that you guys really can't treat. We, I go. think you talk a little bit about things that we might, want you to be able to make need a some difference. IV antibiotics, right. but the things that we do talk about, if you see something left out, it's most likely that there's not a medicine that you can get a hold of without a doctor or a prescription. So that's that's the difference. This book is things that you will be able to do. There's no sense in throwing you a thousand things that you are not going to be able to do anything about if you don't have a pharmacy in your backyard, which most people don't. <laughs> An accessible pharmacy. Right. Well, you can have a pharmacy in your backyard if you have a medicinal herb garden. That's. And we'll talk, oh my gosh. We'll, and we'll talk you know about what? that. That and, was so smart of you. And we'll, we've talked about that in the past. You're we'll talk about it man. in the future. Well, back to gonorrhea. In the United States, it's the second most common sexually transmitted disease. And untreated, it leads to damage not only of your pelvic organs, but also can damage joints. It can damage your heart. It can damage your nervous system. And it can be hard to identify. Gonorrhea may be asymptomatic in some men, but others will experience some pretty significant burning with urination and and discharge and that usually occurs about two to 14 days after exposure now women are less likely than men to have symptoms makes it dangerous because women oftentimes don't know they have it some people report some discharge from the vagina but uh what happens as it progresses you wind up getting lower abdominal pain maybe pain with intercourse and uh, uh, there can be damage to the pelvic organs that can even lead to infertility. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, sometimes you confuse uh, this infection with a bladder infection, and so that's something that is uh, something to be concerned about. Now, this right. got, so, so I, what we're saying is, if you have bladder infections and they're not being cleared with normal medicine, 
you should have your doctor check you for other things. Right. In normal times, absolutely. That's, that's always, a, yes. always an important thing to do. Uh, the issue with gonorrhea is that it's developing resistance to a lot of antibiotics. So there are antibiotics, things like azithromycin and doxycycline, that are uh, used still and considered to be effective in most cases. There are an injectable cephalosporin, a relative of Keflex, mm -hmm. that is also used in an effort to cure the disease. Now, the other, the other one, which interestingly enough is the most common sexually transmitted disease in the United States that can cause significant damage, is called chlamydia. Chlamydia is something that is caused by the bacterium Chlamydia trachomatis, and it's a disease that is a big issue because it doesn't have a lot of early symptoms and leads to a lot of cases being mis missed right. completely by medical professionals. Right. And when they are symptoms do occur, they seem to be a lot uh, similar to those seen in gonorrhea. So a lot of the symptoms that you see, if uh, the treatment for gonorrhea doesn't take care of it, well, the treatment for chlamydia might. So the, the wise thing to take away from this, folks, is if you are sexually active and you are not using protection 100% of the time, or even if you are, have regular checks for STDs. And I don't mean once every couple of years. I personally would probably go every three to six months if that was happening to me. I would never do that. However, if that well, is your your way of functioning. Well, people have a, <coughs> have a lot of need, sexual partners. You need to get checked on right. a regular basis because if you let these things go too long and you don't think that you have something and that you actually do, especially a female, you may become infertile. And when you do get married and you have your relationship that you're going to have as a parent and you have children, mm -hmm. you may not be able to have children is what we are saying. It can scar the insides of you, any of these things that we're talking about, can cause scarring and infertility. And it doesn't take a lot of scarring in your fallopian tubes to block the sperm and the egg ever, ever getting together. And I know there's probably not a lot of young people listening to me. <laughs> However, I'm still going to say it. If you're a grandparent or a parent, pass this on to your youth that may be using those phone apps to <laughs> hyperdate. That's what we're going to call it. It's not normal dating. It's hyperdating. 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 So make sure that they get checked all the time. Now, there are lesser types of infections. I call them lesser because they may not make you infertile or they may not uh, kill you, but they can be certainly an issue and they can be passed from person to person. Uh, many people have issues like yeast infections, uh, vaginal yeast infections and things like that. Now, those are most likely not related to sexual activity. However, right. there are infections that are, that, that are related to bacteria or or other kinds of, or like a type of microscopic parasite known as a protozoan, that are indeed sensitive to antibiotic therapy and can be treated. And these are caused by usually an imbalance between the normal um, inhabitants of these organs like uh, lactobacilli and disease-causing organisms like Gardnerella or Trichomonas. Now, what are these things? Uh, Gardnerella is a bacterium that causes 
bacterial vaginosis. Now, according to the CDC, bacterial vaginosis is the most common vaginal infection in women who are of reproductive age, 15 to 45, it says here. Um, it's caused by Gardnerella, uh, Gardnerella, as I mentioned, and it shows symptoms in, in more than half of the cases, uh, usually a watery discharge, or it could be white, Which, it could be gray. Okay, let me just talk about this for a second. A watery discharge for Gardnerella, we'll call it BV or bacterial vaginosis, watery discharge, yeast, thick, yellowish or white, almost curd-like. Looks like It looks like cottage cheese. Okay, yes, and you know this because you were a gynecologist at one point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you still are, but anyway. A retired we're focusing on, on educating you folks now. Okay. Um, so that's the difference with that. You can have itching with both. So don't think just because you're itching, it's a yeast infection. Itching can also be from the bacterial infection, the BV. That's right. And now the big difference is... Yeast infections don't smell so much, but bacterial infections smell fishy. So if you're washing yourself with soap and you smell the soap and it smells fishy or after you've had sexual intercourse without protection, you might have a reaction where it has even more of a fishy smell. Uh, During your menses, your menstruation, sometimes uh, when you take your tampon out or you're changing your pad, that can smell a little fishy when you're wiping yourself. You might smell a little fishy just, you know, while you're going to the bathroom. And it's not just smell. I mean, you could have itching. You can have burning. Right. Things like that. Right. But these are the big differences between the yeast and the um, bacterial infection. Now, both of them, again, can cause itching. And both of them can also cause um, pain when you're peeing. Right. Because from the irritation, the skin gets very red and irritated with both of them. So thick, yellowish-white discharge with yeast, more of a watery discharge with bacterial, and then fish smell with bacterial, and then not really too much smell with the yeast. Now, I will want to say one thing. When you look at uh, somebody who has the discharge of somebody who has bacterial vaginosis on microscope, Mm -hmm. the cells of the vagina that you see that uh, on, on the microscope slide they are frayed at the edges. They look very different than what a normal cell looks like. They right. look moth-eaten almost. Right. And that is actually a sign that says, aha, you have bacterial vaginosis. Exit. So yes. if you happen to have a microscope. But sometimes I could just tell by walking in the room. Yes, there you go. That's right. From the the smell, folks. Exactly. Doctors <laughs> commonly treat it. Oh, by the way, there is nothing over the counter that will treat bacterial vaginosis. Nothing online and nothing over the counter. You need flagell. You need flagell. I'm going to tell That's that a thousand times. Right. Metronidazole, also known as fishzole. Yes. And uh, they, some of these things come in a type of uh, gel, like Metrogel is one brand name. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also another ba- uh, an antibiotic called clindamycin. We, we write about both of these things in, in yes, detail in the book. Yes, you can use clindamycin. Right. And, uh, that's I always prefer also to known use clindamycin. That also, worked really right. well. So either can be taken by mouth or applied as vaginal cream or gel. Um, the, or it, both, uh, or, <laughs> if it's or really both, bad. Right. Now, there are studies. Now, you have to make sure that you can use that when you're pregnant. That's something else that we talk about. Yes. Now, studies show that about five to seven days of treatment with uh, this oral uh, antibiotic or gel will be effective and you have to remember that this is something that's very important in pregnant women 
as bacterial vaginosis can be associated with a premature birth. Yes. So indeed, pregnant women can and you can and should be given the therapy. Oh, let it's me... important. Now, some people. Oh, I just want to say Go one ahead, natural Katie. thing Go is ahead. that sometimes that you can help reestablish a normal. Uh, environment in that area balance. by we'll eating foods balance. eating foods that have lactobacilli which are the ones that are the bacteria are supposed to be there uh, by eating foods like yogurt yes um, another problem with um, either the yeast or the bacterial but I see it more with bacterial is um, like I said an irritation around the urethra and it, it does it makes you feel like you might have a bladder infection so if you feel like you have a bladder infection uh, check the vaginal area first it might actually be local now i just want to say real quick right at the very end uh, uh there's another infection called trichomonas that's caused by a protozoan parasite known as trichomonas vaginalis which it's also is an passed, std also passed through sexual transmission right. about uh, a good number of these infections don't have any symptoms but both male and females may experience genital itching redness burning with or after urination discomfort with sex uh, a discharge that's yellowish or greenish. It looks different than vaginal uh, bacterial vaginosis or yeast infections, but it may also have a fishy odor like bacterial vaginosis. And the infection could last for months or even years if you don't treat it. So you it also can cause premature labor in pregnant women. So make sure you use the medication. The medication most likely to treat this would be metronidazole. Flagyl uh, is the brand name. Fishzole is a fish antibiotic, considered the most effective antibiotic for this condition. That's all the time we have for this week. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alton. Please keep track of us on <laughs> our website at doomandbloom.net, on Twitter at Prepper Show, and we will be back next week. And look up our treatments on these STDs on doomandbloom.net. There you go. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.